Book One, Chapter Twenty Nine of the Mystical City of God, Volume Three, by the Venerable Sister Mary of Jesus of Agreda. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book One, Chapter Twenty Nine. Christ returns with the first five disciples to Nazareth. He baptizes his most holy mother. Other incidents during this time. The mystic edifice of the militant church, which aspires to the most exalted mysteries of the divinity, is founded entirely upon the holy Catholic faith, established by our Redeemer and Master, its wise and prudent architect. To ensure this firmness in the first foundation stones, his disciples, he began immediately to imbue them with the truths and mysteries relating to his divinity and humanity. In order to make himself known as the Messiah and the Redeemer of the world, who had descended from the bosom of his eternal father to assume human flesh, it was urgently necessary to explain to them the manner of his incarnation in the womb of his most blessed mother. It behooved him, therefore, in order that they might know and venerate her as a true mother and virgin, to speak to them of this heavenly mystery, together with what relates to the hypostatic union and to the redemption. With this heavenly doctrine, then, were nourished the firstborn sons of the Savior, and before the apostles came into the presence of the great queen and lady, they had already conceived most exalted ideas of her celestial excellences. They had been informed that she was a virgin before, during, and after her parturition, and they had been inspired by Christ with the profoundest reverence and love, and filled with the desire of immediately seeing and knowing such a heavenly creature. Christ thus aimed not only to satisfy his own zeal in extending the honor of his most holy mother, but also to excite in his apostles the highest veneration and reverence toward her. Although all of them were divinely enlightened, yet St. John began to distinguish himself in his love of Mary before all the rest. From the very first words of the master concerning the dignity and excellence of his purest mother, he grew in the loving esteem of her holiness for he was selected and prepared for greater privileges in the service of his queen, as I shall relate, and as is recorded in the Gospels. The five disciples of the Lord begged him to grant them the consolation of seeing and reverencing his mother. In accordance with their petition, he journeyed directly to Nazareth through Galilee, continuing to preach and teach publicly on the way, and proclaiming himself as the master of truth and eternal life. Many, carried away by the force of his doctrines, and by the light and grace overflowing into their hearts, began to listen to him and to follow him, though he did not, for the present, called any more to be his disciples. It is worthy of notice that though the five disciples had conceived such an ardent devotion to the heavenly lady, and though they saw with their own eyes how worthy she was of her eminent position among creatures, yet they all maintained strict silence about their thoughts. By the disposition of heaven, they seemed as if mute and ignorant in all that concerned the publication of what they thought and felt in regard to her excellences, for it was not befitting that these mysteries of our holy faith should be proclaimed to all men indiscriminately. The Son of Justice was now dawning upon souls. Malachi chapter 4 verse 2 And it was necessary that its own splendor should shine forth to illumine all the nations, and although its resplendent moon, his mother, was now in the fullness of her sanctity, it behooved her to reserve her light for the night, in which the church should deplore the absence of that son in the bosom of his eternal father. And this office she fulfilled, as I shall relate in the third part. 
for then the splendor of the great lady broke forth, while before that time her holiness and excellence were manifested only to the apostles, in order that they might know and reverence her, and that they might listen to her as the worthy mother of the Redeemer of the world, and as the teacher of all virtue and perfection. The Savior then pursued his way to Nazareth, instructing his new children and disciples, not only in the mysteries of faith, but in all virtues by word and example, as he continued to do during the whole period of his evangelical preaching. With this in view, he searched out the poor and afflicted, consoled the sick and sorrowful, visited the infirmities in prisons, performing miracles of mercy as well for body as for soul. Yet he did not profess himself as the author of any miracles until he attended the marriage feast at Cana, as I shall relate in the next chapter. While the Savior proceeded on his journey, his most holy mother prepared to receive him and his disciples at Nazareth, for she was aware of all that happened, and therefore hospitably set her poor dwelling in order, and solicitously procured the necessary victuals beforehand, for their entertainment. When the Savior of the world approached the house, his blessed mother awaited him at the door, and as he entered, prostrated herself on the ground, adoring him and kissing his hands and feet, while she asked for his blessing. Then she sounded the praise of the Most Holy Trinity in exalted and wonderful words, and also of his humanity in the presence and hearing of the new disciples. This she did, not without mysterious purpose on her part. For besides showing to her divine Son the honor and adoration due to him as the true God-man, she wished also to make a return for the praise with which her Son had exalted her in the eyes of his disciples. Thus, just as the Son had in her absence instilled into their minds the reverence for the dignity of his mother, so the most prudent and faithful mother, in the presence of her son, wished to instruct them in regard to the worship due to their divine master, as their God and Redeemer. The profound humility and worship with which the great lady received Christ the Savior filled the disciples with new devotion and reverential fear for their divine master, Henceforth, she served them as an example and model of true devotion, entering at once into her office as instructress and spiritual mother of the disciples of Christ by showing them how to converse with their God and Redeemer. They were immediately drawn toward their queen and cast themselves on their knees before her, asking to be received as her sons and servants. The first to do this was St. John, who from that time on distinguished himself in exalting and reverencing Mary before all the apostles, while she on her part received him with an especial love. For besides his excelling in virginal chastity, he was of a meek and humble disposition. The great lady received them all as her guests, serving them their meals and combining the solicitude of a mother with the modesty and majesty of a queen, so that she caused admiration even in the holy angels. She served her divine son on her knees in deepest reverence. At the same time, she spoke of the majesty of their teacher and redeemer to the apostles, instructing them in the great doctrines of the Christian faith. During that night, when the apostles had retired, the Savior betook himself to the oratory of his purest mother, as he had been wont to do, and she, the most humble among the humble, placed herself at his feet, as in the years gone by. In regard to the practice of humility, all that she could do seemed little to the great queen, and much less than she ought to in view of his infinite love and the immense gifts received at his hands. She confessed herself as useless as the dust of the earth, 
the Lord lifted her from the ground and spoke to her words of life and eternal salvation, yet quietly and serenely. For at this period he began to treat her with greater reserve in order to afford her a chance of merit, as I have mentioned when I spoke of this departure for the desert and for his baptism. The Most Blessed Lady also asked him for the sacrament of baptism, which he had now instituted and which he had promised her before. In order that this might be administered with a dignity becoming as well the son as the mother, an innumerable host of angelic spirits descended from heaven in visible forms. Attended by them, Christ himself baptized his purest mother. Immediately the voice of the Eternal Father was heard, saying, This is my beloved daughter, in whom I take delight. The incarnate word said, This is my mother, much beloved, whom I have chosen, and who will assist me in all my works. And the Holy Ghost added, This is my spouse, chosen among thousands. The purest lady felt and received such great and numerous effects of grace in her soul that no human words can describe them, for she was exalted to new heights of grace, and her holy soul was made resplendent with new and exquisite beauty of heaven. She received the characteristic token impressed by this sacrament, namely, that of the children of Christ in his holy church. In addition to the ordinary effects of this sacrament, outside of the remission of sins, of which she stood in no need. She merited a special graces on account of the humility with which she submitted to this sacrament of purification. By it, she accumulated blessings like to those of her divine son, with only this difference, that she received an increase of grace which was not possible in Christ. Thereupon, the humble mother broke out in a canticle of praise with the holy angels, and prostrate before her divine son, she thanked him for the most efficacious graces she had received in this sacrament. Instruction given to me by the Queen of Heaven. My daughter, I see thee much moved to emulation and desire by the great happiness of the disciples of my most holy son, and especially that of St. John, my favored servant. It is certain that I loved him in a special manner, because he was most pure and candid as a dove, and in the eyes of the Lord he was very pleasing, both on account of his purity and on account of his love toward me. His example should serve thee as a spur to do that which my son and I expect of thee. Thou art aware, my dearest, that I am the most pure mother, and that I receive with maternal affection all those who fervently and devoutly desire to be my children and servants in the Lord. By the love which he has given me, I shall embrace them with open arms, and shall be their intercessor and advocate. Thy poverty, uselessness, and weakness shall be for me only a more urgent motive for manifesting toward thee my most liberal kindness. Therefore, I call upon thee to become my chosen and beloved daughter in the Holy Church. I shall, however, make the fulfillment of my promise depend upon a service on thy part, namely, that thou have a true and holy emulation of the love with which I love St. John, and of all the blessings flowing from it, by imitating him as perfectly as thy powers will allow. Hence, thou must promise to fulfill all that I now command thee, without failing in the least point. I desire, then, that thou labor until all love of self die within thee, that thou suppress all the effects of the first sin, until all the earthly inclinations, consequent upon it, are totally extinguished, that thou seek to restore within thee 
that dove-like sincerity and simplicity which destroys all malice and duplicity. In all thy doings thou must be an angel, since the condescension of the Most High with thee was so great as to furnish thee with the light and intelligence more of an angel than that of a human creature. I have procured for thee these great blessings, and therefore it is but reasonable on my part to expect thee to correspond with them in thy works and in thy thoughts. In regard to me, thou must cherish a continual affection and loving desire of pleasing and serving me, being always attentive to my counsels and having thy eyes fixed upon me in order to know and execute what I command. Then shalt thou be my true daughter, and I shall be thy protectress and loving mother. End of chapter 29 End of book 1